Today's guest is Geneve Abdo, the author of the recently published book, The New Sectarianism, The Arab Uprisings and the Rebirth of the Shia-Sunni Divide, which unveils and explains the history and continuing tension between these two sects, which are at the root of so much of the current turmoil in the Middle East. Geneve comes to us from the Atlantic Council, where she is a senior fellow. Our conversation was recorded on Friday, February 21st, prior to her appearance before the World Affairs Council. listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. So glad to have you here with us in Dallas-Fort Worth. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot, in retrospect, how did we miss or even fail to understand that the struggle taking place in the Middle East was not for regime change, but that there was a fundamental shift taking place within the Arab world to really change how Islam was practiced and perceived? Because we really focused on the politics and we missed what was really happening. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's actually why I wrote the book. Because so many years after the Arab uprisings began, they're still understood exactly the way you framed it, which is a political struggle, which was true. I mean, obviously, in many of these countries, the objective was to oust dictators, you know, in Egypt, Syria, Tunisia. Iraq, Tunisia, exactly, <laughs> country you're familiar with. And so that obviously was the point. However, because, and as I explain in the book, because Islamic movements had been developing for at least 30 years before the uprisings began, and because societies had become more religious, not in every country, but in some countries, so I don't want to generalize, but because of this fact, which is very important, if you take a country such as Egypt, what began as a sort of secular-led uprising, led by youth, quickly became much more complicated to include the Muslim Brotherhood as a very powerful player in the uprisings. And of course, as we know, the Muslim Brotherhood came to power in Egypt. And this religious dimension really was present in most countries where there were uprisings. But it took some years for it to become so obvious. I'm glad you brought up the Muslim Brotherhood because it certainly again in the news because of reports that the Trump administration's considering designating it as a terrorist entity. That would create a lot of problems that perhaps are not being taken into account by President Trump. Most definitely. And the first book I ever wrote was about the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt. I spent four years in Egypt interviewing them and spending time with them. I can speak at least for the leadership and the people that I came to know during those years who are now in jail never advocated violence. And so to characterize this movement as a terrorist organization, I think, is not only misleading and incorrect, but it will create a lot of problems because the Brotherhood really since, well, it was founded in 1928, certainly since the 1970s, it was very much an inspiration for other Islamist movements, moderate ones, not violent ones. Such as in Morocco such as Morocco, such as in Jordan, such as in Tunisia, al Nahda, even in Turkey. Well, Turkey has sort of deviated a bit, but... So if this went through, then <laughs> so certain political leaders would be declared terrorists and couldn't come to the United States or engage in international discourse. Yes, absolutely. And also, 
it's going to create a lot of resentment inside all of these countries that look to Islamists that have affiliation with the Brotherhood as their leaders, as their religious guides and inspiration. So it's a very reckless <laughs> move, as far as I'm concerned. This has been on the table in Washington for some time now. It was considered under the Obama administration, but it's unfortunate if it happens. I mean, and if you combine this with the so-called Muslim ban, and I hate to use that terminology, but that's how it's being referred to in the media, we're getting into very dangerous times. You know, some would claim that the religion has been hijacked by political opportunist. But I think you argue that it's much more profound than that, and there really is almost an existential battle between Sunni and Shia. Was it just swept under the rug before, and now it's come about, or is it now something new? Well, it's, I mean, of course the conflict's been going on for centuries because of the split when Islam mm -hmm. split over who should succeed the Prophet Muhammad. But there was not this civil strife but that there, you have. There has been this violence over the centuries, but I would say in the modern world, in the contemporary Arab world, we've never seen this kind of violence. And again, it goes back to sort of the role of religion in Arab societies. And I would say that now the reason it's escalated to the degree that it has is that people identify now more in a religious sense, whether they're a Sunni, whether they're a Shia, than they did before the Arab uprisings. And so that's what's changed. If you combine that with the violence and the wars and the different factions that have developed, even if you take a country like Syria, which is very complicated, but there is a lot of sectarian strife in Syria, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so it's become more important because religion has become more important. And it's become more important also because of the geopolitics of the Middle East. So the way I sort of think of it is you have sort of the state rivalry between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Uh, Iran, of course, a Shia state, Saudi Arabia, a Sunni state, happening on a high level. And then you have the societies sort of perceiving what's happening. And the way the societies are perceiving it is that Iran is advancing in the Arab world. And that makes the Sunnis very, very nervous. We may not have enough time to really dive deeply into this, but what is the difference, if any, between Shiism in Iran and so-called Arab Shiism? That's an important question. The fundamental difference, and if you want to take a country like Iraq, which the first chapter of my book, The New Sectarianism, is actually devoted to this question. And I interviewed people, the clerical establishment in Najaf, which of course is one of the most important religious centers for Shia, and one of the most important Shia shrines where pilgrims come in the millions every year. And the fundamental difference is that the Iranians, of course, created supreme clerical rule after the 1979 revolution, whereby a cleric, this cleric today, is Ayatollah Khamenei. Mm -hmm. But of course, his predecessor was Ayatollah Khomeini. And they created this system of governance that was really a deviation from the Shia tradition. Because the Shia have believed, for the most part, even though there have been religious debates, that a cleric shouldn't lead a state. That places religion too much in the hands of the state. The Iraqi Shia and the Arab Shia don't agree with this system, which is called veliyat faqih So it means that a cleric runs the state, mm -hmm. and he has supreme rule. He can override anything the government does, basically. 
And the Iraqi clerics that I interviewed for my book, and their views are in the first chapter, they think that this is a very dangerous kind of governance because it creates authoritarianism. You know, if which is what we've seen. Which is what we've seen. Because obviously, you know, if the buck stops with God and you can't overrule God because they believe that this cleric represents God on earth. And that's what the very controversial thing is among the Shia. The Arab Shia, for the most part, don't agree with this. So in summary, <laughs> do you see a path to reconcile this sectarian divisions or is it just too much history and, and real anger and memories to chart a different course? Unfortunately, I don't think it will be resolved in the foreseeable future because there are now too many players in these conflicts. And also, because it's a religious struggle to some degree, it's difficult to see how there can be any sort of conflict resolution. Is there a role, and if so, what is the role for the United States? People ask me that in Washington all the time. I don't think there's a role for the United States. I think, at least in the sectarian conflict, I think a military solution, which, as we know, former President Obama decided against in Syria. He was very intent on pulling out of Iraq. And I think that was the correct decision. I mean, I don't think that this can be solved militarily. It's not going to be solved by Americans dropping bombs on Aleppo or on Baghdad. And I also think that there is so much resentment now toward the United States, and even more so in the month that President Trump has been in office, that there is no receptivity to the United States becoming involved in the region. Well, I want to thank you very much for being my guest on Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. We've been with Genevieve Abdo. She's the author of The New Sectarianism, The Arab Uprisings and the Rebirth of the Shia-Sunni Divide. We barely touched the surface of your <laughs> remarkable research. Thanks again for being thank with you, us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com. <laughs>